I think in vegetarian food, you know, those layers of flavour, so the salt, the sweet, the acid, the sort of verdant taste, which I talk about, which are kind of like herbs or spinach or rocket or something like that, they're, I think, even more important to think about. And that doesn't mean that the plate has to be particularly complicated. It just means, you know, I just have a little mental checklist in my head. I'm like, do I need to add any of these things? Welcome to Fortnum's Hungry Minds podcast with me, Felicity Blunt. Today, I'm joined by the best-selling author, columnist and voice of modern vegetarian cooking, the one and only Anna Jones. Anna is a hugely respected cook, stylist and writer of three cookbooks, A Modern Way to Eat, A Modern Way to Cook and The Modern Cook's Year. Her multi-award winning bestsellers are sold in 10 countries and have been translated into five languages. Praised for her delicious and down-to-earth approach to vegetarian cooking by everyone from Nigel Slater to Otto Lenghi, she has been anointed both the Queen of Greens by The Guardian and the New Nigella by The Sunday Times. Here to celebrate her new cookbook, One Pot Pan Planet, a very big welcome to Anna Jones. What a joy! <laughs> Being someone who's not in my actual family. It's Thank so, you for having me. Oh, it's so lovely to have you here. Honestly, it's such a joy. And congratulations. This is an incredibly exciting week with the launch of your fourth cookbook, One Pot Pan Planet. And I know that our listeners are going to be interested to hear how you came up with the book concept. Because uh, it really has, in my opinion, moved you on into a very different space whilst retaining all of the bits that everybody has always loved about your food, its relatability, its deliciousness, its nourishment. But I think this book was two years in the making and I would love it if you could just talk a bit about what the inspiration was and why now. Yeah, my other books I've written quite sort of close together. So this one definitely had a bit more breathing space and I think um, had maybe a bit more time to sort of evolve and percolate. But I think what I, I think I've gone quite gently with my approach and that's sort of my personality anyway. I'm not a sort of stand on a soapbox sort of finger waving person. So obviously I was trying to introduce people to vegetarian food and, and delicious ways of putting vegetables at the centre of kind of your table and your life in general. But I think the way the last few years has played out has just made me realise that there is there is an urgency to actually make some of these decisions and changes in our in our life and so I feel like the tone of this book whilst the food is still friendly and joyful because that's always going to be the center of what I do um I've, I've woven in some you know achievable ways that people can make some more dis- sustainable decisions around food because I think we all know that food and what we really you know in terms of the environment has the biggest impact of you know all of the things we do pretty much unless you know you're sort of flying to Barbados twice a week and well not anymore you know those good luck to you (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I think that's so key actually to how we talk about anything around sustainability is to make it something that doesn't feel as you say that you're on a soapbox telling people you have to do that this or that or you're failing and and actually because it's something we do every day three times a day or in my case probably about five times a day you know we prepare (laughs) a plate of food yeah (laughs) and my whole life revolves around food and what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to buy and where I'm going to buy it from 
what I love about the book is it it very gently and warmly sort of shares what you have learned sort of along the way, being somebody right at the forefront of not only cooking, but sort of creating recipe content in books, online platforms, you know, for newspapers. And I think obviously that wealth of experience is fed in and the tone, much like the tone of your previous books, is very much about making incremental changes that you can really adopt and then keep in your life. And that these are things that sit side by side with a delicious bowl of food. It's not about sort of what you're missing. It's about what you're gaining, actually. Exactly. And I think that's always how, you know, that that was really how vegetarian, you know, when I became vegetarian, that's how food felt to me. It felt like the world of cooking actually opened up and it felt like I'd gained something, not lost something. Um, and I think the, you know, this whole, you know, the sustainability conversation is very much the same. I feel like these changes that I've made in my life, you know, you know, whether it's taking a reusable cup to get a coffee in the morning, you know, whilst they're little things, they do feel like I'm taking care of myself, I'm taking care of the wider world. And I think they have a sort of bigger impact on my sort of feeling of well-being than just the actual act. And I think another thing that I really found quite freeing when I was sort of um, researching this book and and, and writing the introduction, so I found out that we make 35,000 decisions every day. And so, you know, some of those will be, you know, do I wear that jumper or that pair of knickers and do I shut the door or turn the light on? But, you know, a good deal of those decisions will be around food. And so I think every day we wake up with the opportunity to make a bunch of different decisions. So I don't think there's any point looking back and thinking, oh, God, well, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. You know, I haven't got an allotment and I'm not growing all of my own veg I mean I don't do that who I think it, it's no, just I mean, looking I've tried for... to grow my own veg and honestly <laughs> it basically tasted like the manure that I so carefully laid across I mean I, I got it so spectacularly wrong and it was that awful thing where you thought you were doing something so good and there was not very much return I'm so, not yeah, very green finding your level. no awful I mean I don't know why I should have just gone to the local grocer kind of just made a donation I think it was... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think at the heart of this book too and this is what we're touching on in relation to the sustainability is it's it's about simplicity and it's about we are and and it's ever more true living incredibly intense lives I think I think there is so much that's demanded of people and as you say we're making 35,000 decisions again and there are a fair number of those that are about what we're going to eat what we're going to buy for our kids what are our kids happy to eat you know one doesn't want this one wants that so (laughs) this idea that you've got a book that not a, not only will sort of help educate you sort of and just sort of set you on a path to sort of making some really clear decisions about waste and just how you can sort of save money at the same time. But you've got these recipes that are so knockout fabulous. I mean, I have to say you just you read the title of your recipes and you want to put your face to the page and sort of just sort of eat <laughs> and and what you've done in this book is I think you've just you have that absolute got to go got to eat this you know sticky noodles whether it's satay noodles or just the combination of flavor and ingredients and background to recipes but with the very sort of simple delivery method of it's it's a pot or it's a pan and we're not going to create you know a tidal wave of washing up for you at the end this is something you can you're going to love it and you're going to bless it because it's going to take 10 minutes to clear up. <laughs> well, I think that's just how I cook at the moment. Um, you know, I, my little boy is five and, you know, me and my husband, like everyone at the moment, you know, we're, we're kind of working and juggling lots of other things. So, you know, that quick, easy, one vessel cooking is the way we cook. And, 
you know, even though I'm a chef, I, I feel like I'm under almost the same pressure as everyone else when it comes to sort of six o'clock and I'm trying to think what to cook for dinner, you know. So it, it's those really life friendly dinners, I think on sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights, they're the ones that actually change how we eat, how we live, how we feel in our bodies and the impact we have. I think everyone wants to treat themselves, especially at the moment, at the weekends. But I think it's, you know, if we can get some really quick, simple and achievable, delicious, joyful meals on those sort of weeknights, then I think, you know, that that's such a winner. And it's such a stress relief, isn't it? It's that thing of, you know what, I've made it through the day. I made it through the homeschooling. I made it through doing the laundry. And oddly enough, dinner's going to be on the table in 10 minutes. Oh, thank you, Anna Jones. Yeah, yeah. Well, we just, the only thing we need to do is now get my son eating all of it because that's right. a struggle. <laughs> that is the endless debate, isn't it? It's so extraordinary. I think back when I'm trying, the other day, I was trying to feed just a very simple tomato pasta to my daughter and just the level <laughs> of coercion, bribery, threats, you know, and my husband and I love to cook and we cook a whole range of things. But hearing uh, yucky, you know, in response to kind of a carefully nurtured marinade a sauce it's kind of like thanks for that <laughs> this is all there is yeah I think so and I think I was under some crazy illusion that because I'm a chef because obviously Dylan is surrounded by loads of different interesting foods just like your kids are I guess in your family I just thought he would grow up and he'd be having spirulina shots at breakfast I just <laughs> thought that was the way it was going to be and I was very wrong I think if if we can try and cook something that that the whole family will eat then it's it's a brilliant win isn't it and some of these recipes are quite adaptable to that so sometimes I'll I'll make sort of the base recipe but I won't put the extra stuff on for Dylan yeah. or so. the stuff that they look at and go what is that yeah. like what, as a if sauce yeah I know and you're like it's parsley <laughs> what is parsley it's a leaf oh you know <laughs> like, oh, okay you know it's, it's that it's that gorgeous narrative one has with one's children, and then it does change. What's so interesting because I have older, I can say kids now. They're sort of twenty one and nineteen, but it really does evolve. And suddenly, there's that amazing period where actually slightly frustrating you make yourself a plate of food and they kind of start like lurking and they go what's that <laughs> <laughs> to which you want to say it's mine you know? mm, I cannot wait for that day that day I yeah and I know it I, I know it all changes but it's actually been a great lesson for me in how I think before I had Dylan I was quite um I don't think I was that sympathetic to people who were very, very sensitive to flavour. I just thought, oh God, how can you hate chilli? Or how can you, you know, find mushrooms so disgusting? And actually seeing the sensitivity of Dylan's palate and how he re reacts to those flavours has given me a lot more empathy for people who do, you know, struggle with different flavours. And, and, and texture and, and, is the and, thing. And texture, yeah. absolutely. So um, it's actually been really quite an interesting sort of like, professional learning experience in in lots of ways as well I think that's so interesting to hear you say that because I feel what so many people have remarked on about your food is just how cleverly you take flavor and you lay you layer texture and you layer ingredients and you think very holistically about what you're putting on the plate because you've obviously you well I don't actually if everybody does know this but you came to vegetarianism later you weren't always vegetarian you weren't raised vegetarian but you I have said you know vegetables should be put at the center of every table and that should be led by the joy of food and its ability to affect change in our daily lives that's very much I feel like the siren call about this book particularly 
But I think what is so interesting when I read quotes, people who've read your food, reviewed your food, they're all saying that your food appeals to the widest demographic. If you're vegetarian, you're going to love it. If you're vegan, you're going to love it. If you're a flexitarian and if you're a carnivore, you're not going to miss the meat. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about your own journey into vegetarianism, which for me, I think, has lent itself to this end result that ultimately a chef that fits with many people's palates, even if not your own son's. <laughs> so, you know, globally, you're finding favour. Globally, in my own home, not so much. Um, <laughs> uh, it was always going to be that way, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so I became vegetarian about sort of 12 years ago now. And I made a shift just because I, you know, I've been cooking for about 17 years as my job. So I'd I'd already been cooking for a while. And at the time I was working for a little known chef called Jamie Oliver, who some of you (laughs) might have heard of. Um, So um, and I was working in the test kitchens with him. And you know, food was always what had like lit me up what I got excited about. Um, You know, from when I was really young, I was sort of a geeky little kid making lemon mousses while all the other kids were out playing. Um, I think my mum and dad thought I was a bit strange. Um, So But, um, I love it. Uh, so I, I think I just, I'd been cooking so much. I was working quite hard and I just felt a bit jaded with food. So I thought I'm just going to cut meat, fish and actually dairy out of my diet. And I just thought I'm just going to do this for a few weeks and, and see how I feel. Just kind of have almost like a reset of my palate and of how I was eating and how I was thinking about food. Were you just feeling fatigued? Was it that thing of sort of not coming to the plate, feeling excited? I think so. I think I was just feeling, I, I think I'd lost a little bit of inspiration. I think I was, you know, I, I think I just didn't feel amazing in my body. Um, and I th- felt like I just needed, you know, just needed a change. And I actually do still do those little resets every now and again. I just try and eat really cleanly for a week. And I feel like it sort of like resets everything. And I get really excited about eating. Again. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was, I, I think I just felt a, a bit, yeah, a little bit jaded. And um, it was so interesting what happened, because I didn't make the decision necessarily to become a lifelong vegetarian, which is what I believe I will be. Um but when I when I took those kind of building blocks, the meat and the fish, away from yeah the choreography of how I put a plate of food together, it was so interesting that I was a bit like, oh my goodness, if I'm not focusing on a meat or a fish or whatever, I, I felt like that was my kind of like thought process when I was putting food together. And so taking that away sort of opened everything up and I started thinking about food in terms of texture and flavour and I guess cuisine and and what part of the world I was sort of heading to in my head a bit more and also mood and you know that kind of intuitive part of us that really knows what it you know wants to eat which you know for the last year for me has been and the rest of the nation probably lots of carbohydrates yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so it, yeah, it, it kind of opened up a whole new world of cooking for me. And um, I think in vegetarian food, you know, those layers of flavour, so the salt, the sweet, the acid, you know, the, the umami, the sort of verdant taste, which I talk about, which are kind of like herbs or spinach or rocket or something like that, they're 
I think, even more important to think about. And that doesn't mean that the plate has to be particularly complicated. It just means, you know, I just have a little mental checklist in my head. I'm like, do I need to add any of these things? And then the same with texture. You know, you want something creamy, you want something crunchy, you want something, you know, that might feel fresh and and, and alive. So it's just having those things in my head when I put food together. And, And that was a big shift. Yeah, I feel I have learned in watching you work and seeing how you have always thought about your plate of food in those ways. I mean, I have learned so much, even in the very simple sense of it's not just about salt and pepper anymore for me. It is about a squeeze of lemon as that sort of accent to really lift something. And you can use it indeed on fish and meat, but also on a plate of pasta or a kind of, you know, freshly sautéed vegetables. And it's what I love, I think, about the sort of the vegetarian journey, which I feel the the world at large is going on in that it is so much more common now than it was 15 years ago to think about just having, you know, meat-free Mondays, but actually a lot of meat-free eating throughout the week. And indeed, you know, veganism has gone from appearing faddy to something that is increasingly commonplace. And I do credit you, Anna, with a lot of how our thinking around, you know, vegetarianism has shifted because at one point, it did feel very fatty. It did feel very much that it was sort of seen as something about weight loss, portion control, abstinence. And actually, your message around the things we put on our plate has always been about joy and nourishment and generosity. I mean, particularly generosity. I just want to say thank you for that, actually, because I think we have taken, you know, the British palate and we've, we have moved it on in a way that, you know, 25 years ago, it was just it wasn't the sort of conversation you could have around food it was it was seen as i just it was sidelined absolutely well i think when i first became vegetarian i was you know a chef i was hanging around with a lot of chefs and i felt like it was almost like you know a terrible confession to make to people i had to whisper that i was you know that i was actually eating vegetarian food and and definitely you know there was definitely that kind of hemp trouser brightly painted cafe sort of you know, mung bean um, <laughs> feeling around vegetarian food when I shifted to being vegetarian. And I think that's what I really felt like I didn't connect with. And that's why I wanted to write my books was because I felt like vegetarian food wasn't just being talked about in the same terms. It wasn't being talked about, you know, with the same generosity as food it's it's just food and I I wanted people to get three quarters of the way through my book and then be like oh there hasn't been any meat and fish rather than it being you know stamped on the front you know I want it to be for everyone and I think that's why I've really tried in my food and my recipes to make it kind of satisfying for everyone not I think a lot of vegetarian books that I bought and perhaps felt a bit disappointed in I just would make something I'd be like well this is a side dish this isn't a meal (laughs) you know so and and I think that is often what people who are just you know moving towards vegetarian food or you know committed carnivores who might want just one meal a week that's what they miss I think that kind of rounded plate and so that's what I try really hard to put into all my recipes and especially in the sort of one pot pan stuff in this book. I love that. I really do. I mean, I've benefited from it because I've cooked, you know, from your books for years. And it's definitely, it's interesting being in a family of dedicated carnivores, including (laughs) myself, how uncontroversial it is now to eat vegetarian food. It's, it's not, nothing is missing, you know, when you sit down at the table. And I think that's the shift has been really important. I did want to sort of reverse back a little bit to talking about the book and some of the things I'm really struck about, the things that we waste most 
you know, the things like bread, fresh vegetables, eggs and things. I suppose, are you guilty of that as well? Are you now rethinking sort of when you're when you're looking into your fridge and you're thinking, God, that's a lot of carrot. Uh, (laughs) Are you you feeling that actually the first thing you want to do rather than go out and buy something that might feel more exciting is sort of, it's those common vegetables that everybody has, you know, those staples. It's, you know, the carrots, the onions, the things that everybody buys in bulk, you know, in the huge plastic bags and takes home and then it sort of starts to get slightly sort of gross, doesn't it, in the bottom of one's fridge? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I think waste is, everyone is aware of the fact that, you know, eating vegetables as the main part of your diet is the most impactful thing you can do for the environment. The second most impactful thing is not throwing away the food that you buy. So um, it's those two pieces I think we really need to focus on. And the waste... Yeah, the waste thing is so interesting because I feel like the focus of sort of chefs and food media has been like trying to come up with recipes for carrot tops or beetroot leaves, which is brilliant. But actually, you know, when I looked into the top 10 most wasted foods, it is, as you say, stuff like milk, bread, bag salads, the basic veg that we buy. It's those things we need to either start buying in smaller amounts or we need to really start thinking a bit more carefully about um, using rather than, you know, making carrot top pestos as nice as they are. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I think there's a couple of things there. I think how we store our our fruit and veg is really important. And there's definitely some information in the book about really simple ways that you can make your fruit and veg last longer. You know, it's simple things like not storing certain fruit and veg together because some veg release this thing called ethylene gas which ripens other veg quicker it's it's really and then think you know really simple tips like storing your herbs in glass jars in in the sort of milk bottle compartment of the fridge and they'll last up to two weeks like that so things around storage but also you know I'm not perfect we we do waste stuff at home obviously I'm a chef so if we've got odds and ends lying around in the fridge then you know I can whip something up perhaps a bit more easily than than other people and that's why in the book I really wanted to put these very flexible pages together around the top 10 things that we waste because I thought if you've got you know a third of a pint of milk you're perhaps not going to look to a recipe but if you've got 20 ideas of how you might be able to use it then then that feels a bit more approachable. And you also do that around vegetables where there are sort of certain veg like here are 10 recipes. I mean, you've always done these double page spreads where you've given everybody a kind of choose your own adventure version of finding a recipe so that actually it's not prescriptive, it's idea based and it gives you skills and then you can apply them across you know, other vegetables. And I do love that. That feels, your books are insanely generous in terms of the recipes. I mean, it's not the 100 recipe count for you. It sort of hits 240, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I just can't stop writing. I think um, Louise, who is my lovely publisher, is just sort of, the information just keeps coming. And I think she's always happy to have it. But at some point, she's like, right, stop now. Um, (laughs) um, So yeah, I think those, you know, my hope and wish with all of my recipe books and particularly this one is that people get ideas and you know perhaps get some some recipe ideas but also ideas of different principles and different ways to cook and then they go away and make those recipes you know part of their own tapestry of how they cook at home I feel like once once someone opens a recipe book and cooks something it ceases to be my recipe it becomes their recipe and that's why I've always included these quite flexible recipe pages because I feel like 
that's what I I hope the recipe books will be. I hope that they will be a sort of a springboard rather than something that people, you know, formulaically go through and tick off all the ingredients. Though my husband still cooks that way. He does. <laughs> He's a scientist. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess that, yeah, it feels discipline must be at the heart of yeah. how he approaches Weights anything. and measures for John, for okay. sure. <laughs> Can I ask, your first entry into food was via, in fact, you mentioned him early, but Jamie Oliver had set up the 15 programme and you were 24, I think, and you were looking to make a change and you'd always, you'd been the kid at home making sort of lemon posset or whatever it was, you know, sort of, you know while everybody went outside to play in the snow. What was that like entering that that community, actually, of, of young people who had started and decided to start afresh and working for Jamie? And then do you think things that you learned there are are still sort of the backbone of how you approach food today and the things that you're talking about was that part of your learning at the time absolutely well 15 um was which was jamie oliver's sort of chef training program which i was part of for 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 a year um before i worked for him was just the most incredible experience it was um i always sort of say it was a bit like learning to cook on fast forward because at the time jamie was sort of you know he was just on this sort of meteoric rise you know everyone wanted him to be part of whatever project they were doing and there was this wonderful restaurant with lots of really brilliant buzzy young chefs and 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 lots of you know well 15 of us learning to cook so um and we were lucky enough to go on trips you know to Tuscany and be taken you know to the sort of Chianti fields and it was an incredibly transformative experience and I feel really privileged and sort of you know indebted to Jamie and all the wonderful people who worked for him and worked at 15 who sort of showed me that world it was like my you know it was like my eyes were wide open every day just learning 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 you know in the kitchen but also when we went on sourcing trips so it was incredible um and then to move to sort of work for Jamie you know helping him develop recipes and and do you know the sort of food styling and shoots was was just amazing actually i i find jamie a sort of endlessly inspiring human he has more energy more drive more serious work ethic than anyone i've ever met i mean i just have he's he sort of he works harder than anyone in that building you, you know where where his sort of offices he works harder than anyone and i just find it amazing that still however you know 20 odd years on he's still (laughs) still doing it but it was a a wonderful education for me in the world of food the world of food media also the world of you know how food can be used for good and used for change and I think it's that part that has really stayed with me I work with Jamie on lots of the school dinners campaigns and some of his campaigns over in America so, you know, seeing directly in sort of the families and people I work with the shift that, you know, eating made for them and how it did change their lives and how Jamie was actually managing to sort of change policy through, you know, shifting people's food and eating habits actually, you know, I, I found really inspiring. And I think that's stuck with me. I mean, it is an incredible legacy that that man has sort of put in place. And and actually, you know, the number of people that were in that apprenticeship program that have gone on to have careers in food, it is just remarkable. I mean, Tim Sardassen, who founded Trullo and Padella, I mean, there are there are so many. And it's so lovely when you can see that those sort of embers that he set have just mm. gone on to sort of have absolute 
lightning rod careers. No, it's lovely. And it really feels like still being part of a family, even though 15's not there anymore. I feel like, you know, a bit like sort of the River Cafe was a real breeding ground for, for chefs before 15 came or Chez Panisse was this brilliant breeding ground for chefs in, in San Francisco. I feel like 15 was that as well. I feel like all these brilliant chefs came through it and now you know, there's there's restaurant owners, there's food writers, there's food editors, there's people who, you know, went on to work in journalism, perhaps nothing to do with food, but learnt this wonderful kind of work ethic from 15. So no, it feels like quite, you know, a legacy to have left behind. And it wasn't just Jamie, you know, there was a whole team of incredible chefs and incredible people who who took took care of everyone and continue to take care. Yeah. Who, I mean, who for now, who are your current food heroes? Who do you take inspiration from today? Are there people you've discovered recently that you just can't get enough of and you cook from them all the time or people that you celebrate? Yeah, I'm terrible at cooking other people's recipes. Um, I definitely sort of will flick through a recipe book and then get some ideas and sort of go into the kitchen. I've been really enjoying a book called The Flavor Equation by someone called Nick Sharma, writes for the New York Times. It's all about, you know, he's he, he gets really, really sciencey about flavor and texture. And as someone who doesn't have a particularly scientific brain, I found that really, really fascinating. Another American writer, Samin Nosrat, her book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, I think is, you know, I would probably probably say the best book of the last 10 years I just love it and it's such an education in 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 simple ways we can cook better you know you've always got to give a shout out to Ottolenghi I think his last book Flavor with um Easter was possibly his best and I absolutely love it and then there's another couple of vegetarian cooks who I adore Heidi Swanson who's been writing a blog called 101 cookbooks since well before most people had even heard of the word blog um and she (laughs) just um she is just amazing she takes her own pictures and she just has this wonderful aesthetic but makes the most amazing um vegetarian food and she's you know based in LA so all the produce is just that wonderful Californian produce and it just sort of makes me very jealous I don't live there most of the time and then another really wonderful woman called Sarah Britton who's Canadian and she writes a blog called My New Roots who um she's sort of a nutritionist by trade initially and then she sort of moved into cooking and she I just really trust her I feel like she she sort of she she weaves nutrition and amazing flavor and joyful food together in this very brilliant way so I think that's a longish list (laughs) I love those I love those we're going to need to flag those somewhere on the Fortnum Mason website because I think those are I think there's I mean I want to go now and look at all of those and Mm. I know your relationship with Fortnum and Mason you were part of the judging panel in 2020 for the food and drink awards so what a joy I mean what so you how many cookbooks do you look at like how so how does that work are you are you in a room once you were allowed to be in a room was it just sort of a library to work through of publishing it was. We, we, we initially went to do a sort of first pass of all the books to make a shortlist. And there were so many books in the room. It was really quite <laughs> overwhelming. Um, I went with um, Jeremy Lee from Quo Vardis, who is just always the most wonderful and entertaining and mischievous character. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, we. it was quite amazing. And actually, I found it quite quite overwhelming and emotional, actually, because I know how much love and hard work goes into each one of those books and I know 
people at home might think, oh, it's just a cookbook. But actually, uh, you know, the amount of testing, the amount of kind of research, the attention to detail that goes into each one of those books and sort of standing in a room surrounded by all of them, I just sort of felt this sort of overwhelming sense of like, gosh, like this is that, you know, all of these books have have had that much love and attention put into them. And um, it felt quite difficult to then dismiss any of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But no, it was just um, the most joyful process. And I actually think the last, very last thing I did before the lockdown came about in March was have our final judging dinner at Fortnum and Mason, which was I've been dreaming about it every day since it feels like <laughs> it feels like another world and it just felt like a you know a very a very special thing to be part of it is that thing as well when you go into Fortnum and Mason anyway you sort of feel whatever day it is I always feel like it's Christmas when I go into Fortnum and Mason because there's just you know it feels like the nutcracker is going to be on in one corner or you know you're going to have it's just... you know, somebody handing me chocolate <laughs> It's so it's so transportive. It just feels like it feels like sort of the worries of the world don't actually, you know, they don't go over the doorstep into Fortnum and Mason. <laughs> no, it's a time what you enter and you're sort of in a different time. Absolutely, and it's it's one of my it's one of my favorite things to do to kind of, you know, wander down and just spend half an hour sort of, you know, strolling around, seeing, you know, what what new teas might be around, how much yeah. how, <laughs> <laughs> how much money I can spend on teas. <laughs> Lots is the answer. <laughs> Lots, Lots is the answer for me. I'm a big tea fan. I, oh, that's good. Because actually, I've got to ask you, what is your favourite tea? This is a Fortnum Mason. This is, this is some kind of, you know, research for them. <laughs> I'm going to ask all the guests. What is your favourite tea? I love Earl Grey tea. So I love the, the bergamot flavour. So and the citrus flavour. And I think I love a blend that has bergamot and lemon in it. So an Earl Grey with bergamot and lemon. You are specific. I love I know. This. I know. Yeah, I am specific. They're gonna I've... call you up. You're gonna be you're gonna be working on the on the production line. <laughs> I've gone I've gone quite yeah, I've got quite forensic with my Earl Grey's. This is when the scientist in you is finally allowed to be unleashed. Everything else, you're like a dab of that. But with tea. Yeah, but with tea, with tea. Um, uh, so yeah, I I just love Earl Grey tea, and I think I try and I try and have my you know switch up my first cup of the morning, and it just has to, it has to be Earl Grey with with a little dash of milk, which I know some people is, think is rather no, uncouth, I do, but I you do know. the same. I find the hardest thing is when you go to the US and you ask for a cup of tea. And apologies to any US listeners, but I always get a sort of tepid cup of water and a tea bag on the side and as a British person that feels that feels mm. quite wrong <laughs> it does. I actually just never order tea you can't no yeah I have been known to travel with tea bags or loose tea so you're not alone yeah. Yeah, I am guilty take it of this also. Level. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I go through an airport, I'm always like, kind of, whenever there's free tea bags, I'm just, it's terrible. It's like <laughs> stuffing them into my hand. The tea bag kleptomaniac. I know yeah. I've been there at the breakfast yeah. buffet where you're like, oh, these look nice. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> With no shame. <laughs> okay, what is your most joyful memory when it comes to a meal? It might be your cup of tea in the morning. I don't know. But what is your most joyful memory? My most joyful memory when it comes to a meal? My goodness, there are so many joyful memories when it comes to 
food but I think sort of my most memorable meal and when I felt like I connected the most and was the most overjoyed with what I was eating was when I was training as a chef in Tuscany I had the day off didn't have very many days off um I think I had one afternoon off a week um they were quite hardcore there um yep. and um I got the bus into Siena and I just remember going to this tiny little sort of trattoria it was really unassuming and it was porcini season they did these big it's big chunks of porcini sort of bigger than you know I'd ever seen five or six centimeters long and about four centimeters deep and they 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 just toss them I think in a bit of flour and then they fried them gently in obviously the most beautiful Tuscan olive oil and they just serve them like that with a bit of salt and I just remember it being transcendent and there was just something also about eating on my own it's not something I really ever do but it just felt quite um I just felt so connected with what I was eating and you know I will just always remember those those porcini I've tried to make them 20 or 30 times since and never come close but the thing I feel about Italy when you're there is you just get the sense that somebody has literally just pulled that out of the soil when it's that good and the sort of the time from farm to plate is very sure and I agree just olive oil and salt like with that or with tomatoes that's another thing like to me just olive oil and salt yeah absolutely so So beautiful and I think there's something about you know those times when you're perhaps working quite hard or it's probably comparable with now when we don't have many treats we don't have many kind of luxurious experiences those those moments when you know you do feel transported somewhere or you do feel like you're really treating yourself become even more valuable I do think eating alone in a restaurant does to me feel like the height of like indulgence Mm. I love it I love Mm. it (laughs) yeah I love it especially since I've had Dylan it's become an even more (laughs) yes what do you mean you don't want anything on the menu don't worry let me get you a new fork given you've dropped this one for the third time I know it's quite different isn't it um okay what food or drink do you wish you'd invented I think this is a hard question I always find to invent a food or drink what would it be what food or drink do I wish I'd invented I think I've got to say honeycomb you know when you you sort of make a caramel and then you throw in bicarbonate of soda I don't know if you've ever made it and it's sort of this brilliant reaction happens and the honeycomb just sort of or cinder toffee I guess some people call it and it you know what was a caramel becomes this sort of aerated very crisp you know amazing thing and it just feels like the most brilliant kitchen alchemy and I just every time I do it I can't imagine who had that idea and why they had that idea but I'm very glad that they did have that idea (laughs) I so I think that all the time when there's certain ways when you cook certain things of course I can't think of one now and I think who figured out that something I don't particularly some vegetables that look slightly terrifying but if you did that or if you roasted the seeds like it would like who who first experimented with that how did that happen and I think you know that's one thing I love about kicking is we're we're constantly experimenting and new things are constantly on the horizon I think one of the things over the past sort of five six years that I found amazing is aquafaba which is you know the the water that chickpeas sit in and how miraculous that is you know you can whip that up with a bit of sugar in it and and cook it like a meringue you can use it instead of eggs in a in a cake um and you can whip it up like mayonnaise and it's this thing that usually you know you drain a tin of chickpeas and pour it down the sink and it's actually this this kind of brilliant piece of kitchen alchemy so yeah I love that I mean mayonnaise is one of those things which I always think when I'm making or struggling to make 
who came, like who figured out this is what, like <laughs> who the hell thought you know what I've got six eggs and some time on my hands and I'm going to make men like <laughs> I just think it's amazing but now I'm going to try it with my chickpea water which I have been throwing you know down the sink terrible well, okay this is I've got lots of these but what's been your biggest disaster in the kitchen biggest disaster in the kitchen I would definitely say was a pretty bad one I was doing a um, podcast with lots of sort of the great and the good of the food world it was it was a Christmas edition of one of the big food podcasts and um, you know there was sort of the likes of sort of Angela Hartnett Nigel Slater Giorgio Locatelli around the table and I was so nervous because I really felt like you know there was some real sort of very well-respected chefs and I felt like I was kind of the rookie um (laughs) and I just I I made this beautiful galette and I was so nervous I just sort of left it in the oven and because the base was quite dark you couldn't really tell that it had changed colour but when we went to slice into it and eat it and obviously everyone had bought it was a bit like a potluck everyone had bought something and when we sliced into it the bottom we'd been keeping it warm in a low oven but it had completely dried out and it was the most drying thing. oh no did everybody get that thing where they can't speak they're going mm-hmm. everyone was sort of yeah everyone was so gracious they were so gracious and they sort of said oh delicious mm, this is the most delicious thing I've ever had and then there were a few requests for water <laughs> sort of going so I would say that is hands down my biggest food disaster. And afterwards, I sort of had to, you know, luckily, I think everyone there knew me well enough to know that actually, you know, I was a decent cook and um, oh, that no, wasn't a good Anna. example of, mine, That's just the worst. of my skill. But it was a real, it was a real sinking feeling. But I feel like when you've done that, that's that's it. That's the top level disaster you can have. <laughs> it so. will not get worse than that. <laughs> it can't get oh, any worse than no. that. <laughs> and everybody else's like studied politeness. A lovely, you know, as they get a gallon of water delivered. Oh, I'm sorry. Absolutely. I, not I fair. Need, yeah, they were all incredibly, incredibly gracious. <laughs> so I, you know, I'd like to publicly thank them for... Um, <laughs> persevering with those mouthfuls of of galette (laughs) they were generous yeah it wasn't a dragon's den experience okay so let me ask do you listen to music when you cook at home is that i do listen to music yeah yeah we quite often have all different types of music on in the background i sort of when when i'm sort of testing and i'm in that sort of um headspace where i'm trying to make a recipe and then and then you know, turn it into something that people can then cook at home. Um, I don't like to have any music on because I find it quite distracting. Yeah, I think I'm just, I find it really hard to listen to music when I'm trying to follow a recipe quite closely. And my husband loves it and insists on playing it incredibly loudly. And I have that thing where my brain just goes, <laughs> and I just can't work out whether it was meant to be a teaspoon or a tablespoon of salt or whatever I was meant to add. But no, he loves it. He's constantly kind of, you know, Paolo Nutini or anything. Ella Fitzgerald, you know. Yeah, well, I've been listening to a lot of Ella Fitzgerald this year, actually, and lots of sort of those those great female singers, lots of Nina Simone, and um, I just feel like you know those soulful voices that seem to sort of you know convey so much emotion have felt quite comforting to me this year. There's a a musician as well. I quite often listen listen sort of modern, I would say, classical music. So there's a uh, an album by Chili Gonzalez who used to not very much not be a classical musician. He was like a rapper. 
uh, there's a couple of albums called Solo Piano 1 and 2 and those are just very beautiful but modern piano music that I that that, that I think is really good cooking music Ooh, okay I can go home and show off now you know to stand and make sure <laughs> feel like I've got something he's gonna just like his early work is very different yeah I'm worried I'm gonna, I'm gonna be on the Spotify and end up in the wrong channel <laughs> Dan will go be like, for the oh. solo piano solo piano okay okay so there's my last question what are the three ingredients you think are essential store cupboard items The three things I think that I could not cook or live without are tea, number one. (laughs) If I don't have a cup of tea in the morning, I have probably about four cups of tea a day and it feels like, um, I know that's not necessarily something we cook with, but I feel like it's part of my lifeblood. Um, And um, salt, I would say, is, you know, obviously completely critical and I, I think that's one of the things I use every day. And then am I allowed to say lemon? Can that be a store cupboard? I mean, I know it's not, it's not, you know, a dry good, but I consider there's a f- sort of few fresh things I consider sort of store cupboard ingredients. So it would definitely be a lemon, I think. I'd take lemon over pepper every day of the week. A bit of salt, a bit of lemon. I think you can make almost anything taste incredible. Well, that is it for today. Thank you so much, Anna. And can I urge everybody to go out and buy your book? It is truly the most gentle revolution, shall I describe it as, contained within pages, amazing recipes, amazing advice, and just an utterly generous offering for any home cook. So thank you so much for joining us today, Anna. Thank you for having me. What a joy. It has been a joy. This is this is the best social moment of my week, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> this, this is the high point of 2021 so far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it hasn't been much competition, but I take that and thank you. <laughs> huge thanks of course to you as well for tuning in if you haven't already do let us know if you're enjoying the hungry mind series so far by kindly leaving us a rating and a review remember you can also subscribe to fortnum's hungry minds wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes we'll be sitting down with more brilliant guests for fascinating conversations ranging from food and drink through to arts and culture